0: the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill. This is episode 105. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. January is speeding along like a raging locomotive or something, and life is good, hopefully. And if it's not good, eh, don't worry. Tomorrow will be better. Maybe this listening to this podcast will help. What's new in the world, everybody? Uh, oh, man, I have a dandy Mad Mike Hughes update for you this week. As you know, if you've been listening to this show for a while, I have become somewhat preoccupied with Mad Mike Hughes. Mad Mike is a limousine driver somewhere in California, I think, and he is determined to launch a rocket into the upper atmosphere, I guess, and take some photos to prove once and for all that, you know, the fake news that the Earth is round is a bunch of garbage. He's going to prove that the Earth is flat. This was supposed to happen, like, back in November sometime. He ran into some technical problems. The uh, converted mobile home that he was going to use as a launch pad had broken down. There were some issues with his homemade rocket. Uh, The government had wandered in and said, uh, we can't really point to a specific code section, but we don't think you can do this. So he was kind of at a loss, and then he hit on this idea of calling into some pro- Flat Earth people uh, radio shows, and suddenly the money started pouring in. I don't know. I, my sense is that that wasn't necessarily his original mission. I don't know if he's really a flat earther, but he has offered to go up there and take some pictures. Uh, you know, he's going to strap himself to his homemade rocket and uh, and uh, you know set the world afire or something. But like I said, he ran into some problems, but he was still able to set up a a Facebook page where he keep us updated while he waits for, you know, the repairs on his mobile home and waits for it to stop being so windy. Too windy, man. Can't launch when it's windy. But the Facebook page was kind of quiet for a while. But now, I just checked in right before I started recording, and he has been a busy dude, at least on Facebook. Um, the last couple weeks, I've seen a bunch of new posts. We've got a picture of Mad Mike standing next to his rocket, which is kind of a it is kind of a cool looking thing. I'll be honest, I couldn't build a rocket. It's green, like the Earth. Maybe I, I don't know if that was intentional. So we see him standing next to the rocket. He's got a website now, MadMikeFlatEarth.com. He says it's a real website selling his merchandise. There's a video of him talking about everything that's going on. Let's see if I can play a little bit of that. No, I guess I can't, because if you push the little play button. Uh, absolutely nothing happened. Oh, hello. Oh, so here go. I had
1: Mike Hughes. I'm in my living room here in Apple Valley. I wanted to make a video just to explain a lot of stuff. There is so much misconception, bizarre facts, statements that's floating around, and plus a fake website that I did not even authorize, so I just want to set the record straight on a lot of things. Thanks, first Mike. First of all, the reason we did not do the uh, uh, jump in Amboy the first time is we started getting emails about three days before the jump from the BLM because there was no permit. What was what happened is originally they had gave me a verbal agreement to just leave it up to the FAA. And of course I contacted the FAA because it's an old abandoned runway. We're just gonna jump that, starting on private property there at the town of Amboy. That was right, born. So um, Do I know for sure? No. This is why I want to go up in a space 62 miles up, to set this thing once and for all for people to know, okay? And, because we don't even know what's in the center of this planet we're on right now. We were taught, uh, gravity's from the center, it's pulling all this stuff together, and the furthest hole that's been drilled It's seven and a half miles, so all this crap we were taught in school about the different mantles...
0: We know it's in the middle of the Earth. Jules Verne already told us. There's, like, dinosaurs and stuff.
1: ...reporter in Denver who broke the original story. Um, There is a plan to get me into space, and, like I said, that plan is a $1.82 million uh, venture. $2 million? ...today in the next 15 minutes over that for some of the people involved with that to just... Uh, support Norwich TV. They're the ones that's going to be doing the the, uh, live uh, broadcast and I will have a uh, new show on that network called Truth.
0: Alright, I'm going to stop there because that leads me to the next thing that I found out on Facebook. Mad Mike has a new launch date. Woo! February 3rd uh, is the new uh, planned launch date to uh, go up into... I keep saying go into space. He's not going into space, of course. He's going up uh, way high in the sky. Uh, That's my technical... Description of what he's doing. I'm going to take these photos because, as he says, we just don't know if the Earth is round. And uh, he wants to prove it for us. So, all right, so look for that February 3rd. This episode is dropping, uh, let's see, Uh, what's today? Oh, you know what? Look at the calendar here. You're going to hear this episode on January 28th. So... By the time you hear the episode after this one, we're going to know if the Earth is is flat. Now, with my production schedule, the next episode that you hear, I'm probably not going to know yet. I'm probably going to record that before February 3rd. But the episode after that, I can share with you the exciting news. If you haven't already, you know, scoured... Well, the mainstream media, of course, isn't going to tell you, because you know, liberal media and all that, but um, but if you have found, like, the real media, like the stuff Donald Trump reads, um, they're going to tell you if the earth is flat or not, so uh, you can write to me and tell me if, uh, if Mad Mike uh, saved us or not, so that's very, very exciting, as soon as I know the news, I will put it into an episode, all right. Well, that's enough Mad Mike. Uh, Mad Mike's on Facebook, like I said. You can go check him out if you want. Uh, in other news, Minnie Mouse has gotten her own star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Earlier this month, the polka dot wearing mouse, a uh, longtime paramour of Mickey, who is, has recently celebrated her 90th anniversary in entertainment, uh, got a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Uh, Mickey already has one, as do uh, other Disney. Uh, luminaries like Donald Duck and Tinkerbell and Winnie the Pooh and Snow White and Terms of the Frog. She, as I'm recording, I'm recording this on the 21st. Uh, She is scheduled to get her star. Uh, She had a formal ceremony tomorrow on the 22nd. So by the time you're hearing this, she has gotten it. They're going to dedicate it uh, in front of Disney's El Capitan Theater on Hollywood Boulevard in the category of Motion Pictures. Disney CEO Bob Iger and pop star Katy Perry are going to be at the uh, unveiling. The star will mark the Walk of Fame's 2,627th uh, star, I guess, on the Walk of Fame. Minnie Mouse debuted 90 years ago in Steamboat Willie, uh, along with Mickey. I believe that was his debut as well. Mickey got his star in 1978, his 50th anniversary. So that's very cool. Congratulations, Minnie. Well done. Uh, What else? Oh, The X-Files. Season 11, I am loving The X Files. Well, alright, maybe loving isn't the right word, but I am very, very happy overall with what I've seen so far of Season 11. I'm very optimistic about what, as I record this, the, the remaining seven episodes will bring. Episode 1 of the, this season dealt with uh, the mythology. It wasn't great, frankly, uh, but that's mostly because they've kind of settled themselves with sort of some crappy mythology that they have to deal with. And they made a couple of choices that I, I don't necessarily think were great. Uh, I'm hoping they will course correct uh, in the remaining episodes. Episode 2 wasn't entirely a mythology episode, but it felt more like a classic X-Files episode. It wasn't quite there, but it was it was more like it, and it had a lot of things to, like, uh, to enjoy in the episode. Episode 3 was very much a callback to the way they used to make Monster of the Week episodes. Of the X-Files. in it. With uh, you know a recognition that it's 25 years later. And it, it was a lot of fun. It's not going to ever be considered one of the best X-Files episodes. But I had a good time watching it. Really liked what I see. And I like the fact that the episodes are progressing. Right? I've enjoyed each episode more than the last. So I feel good about what's coming next. Season 10, la- a couple years ago, they were clearly new to making the X-Files after 20 odd years. Uh, it was pretty creaky. Uh, it wasn't There wasn't a lot great about it, frankly. I mean, they only had six episodes. By the time you could see it in the episodes, by the time they started to figure out what they were doing, the season was over. This year, uh, they're off to a good start, and things are progressing nicely. If you have any X-Files thoughts, um, go ahead and write me about those, because uh, I enjoy it. It kind of fits in with the, the uh, retro feel of, of the podcast, uh, which is why I like talking about this stuff. So, if you have any X-Files thoughts, let me know. got a little bit of feedback. If you recall, I believe it was the New Year's episode. New Year's Eve episode uh, on Tapper. I had talked about Twin Galaxies Pomeranian track for Tapper of recording high scores. And I was very confused about what this was. It's Tapper and it's high scores and there's something about Pomeranians which I think is a tiny little dog and why does Twin Galaxies care about little dogs? And I was very, very confused. And I made a comment something to the effect of no worries, if I mess this up Friend of the show, Sean, will write to me and set me straight. And I'll be damned if he didn't. So I got an email from Sean. So he starts out the email. I guess I should email you, right? If for no other reason than to make your prediction come true. Wanted to give you some explanation behind the Twin Galaxy scoreboard. Twin Galaxy uh, keeps records for just about every conceivable video game platform. Arcade. In fact, if I remember correctly, Walter Day started the Twin Galaxy scoreboard in the 80s. When someone as Arcade scored obscenely high on Defender and called Williams to see if they kept records on high scores. Their answer was no, prompting Walter uh, to start his own scoreboard. Um, they also track console, uh, and Phil the No where Dammer has the world record on the 2600 Tax Avoiders, by the way. Uh, I still haven't played Tax Avoiders. Uh, I need to pick up a copy of that somewhere. Um, maybe played at tax time or something. They also track computer, phone, tablet, etc. This is me editorializing. Twin Galaxies. Pretty preoccupied with high scores. Sean says the Twin Galaxies community is uh, very volatile, to say the least. Um, so they're fans, basically. Fans of anything, and this is me editorializing again, fans of anything are pretty volatile. Uh, I've been a Doctor Who fan for decades, and yeah, they're pretty um, uh, uptight. So he says uh, the Twin Galaxies community is very volatile, to say the least, so I use it as nothing more than a scoreboard. I'll participate in adjudication, but I stay out of the discussions. The, quote, you cannot vote, end quote, message you received was referring to, oh, I was uh, playing around briefly on the Twin Galaxy scoreboard thing, and I couldn't figure out what I was doing, and I just got this message that said, you cannot vote. Sean says, this was referring to Twin Galaxies' current adjudication process. If someone wants to submit a score for Twin Galaxies, that person has to upload a video of the gameplay, along with proof that you're using the proper equipment and not, say, emulating. If you're submitting an arcade score, you need to include video photos of the motherboard's jumper settings. If you're submitting a console score, you have to include video of the actual console being switched on, with the cartridge inserted, or otherwise include evidence that you were using the console, etc. The way your score is accepted or denied, uh, the way your score is accepted or denied, is that other Twin Galaxies users will vote on whether or not your submission is legit, and possibly explain why they're accepting, denying your score. Nobody other than Jace Hall, who currently runs Twin Galaxies, knows how long you have to wait before your score is accepted or denied, or how many people have to vote. Nobody's been able to figure out the formula, but once enough people have voted, your score is either accepted or rejected. Uh, Makes me wonder if you could track, you know, how much time seems to pass. Right? If it's always, you know, 12 days, then you know. I'm guessing from his comment, from what Sean is saying, that it's not. Sometimes it's four days sometimes it's six months sometimes it's, you know 18 days you know whatever so he says once enough people have voted your score is either accepted or rejected and I guess mm, it's entirely up to Jay's Hall to decide how many people right you need to vote not only does this affect the submitter of the score but it also affects the voters if your vote is correct that is your vote to accept the score uh, rather that is you vote to accept the score and it's determined that the score is acceptable. Or, if you vote to reject the score and the final decision is to reject it, because that's how you know if your vote is, quote, correct, you get reputation points and, I think, submission points. He says, I think you need three submission points to submit a score. When you create an account at Twin Galaxies, they give you three points to start. See, there's the problem. I don't have an account at Twin Galaxies, which is why it was telling me that I couldn't vote. If you vote incorrectly, for example, you vote to accept the score, but the final decision is to reject it, or vice versa then your reputation points take a big hit. I think reputation points give your vote a little bit more sway. I think the more reputation points you have, the more your vote counts. Also, once you get a a certain number of reputation points, you're allowed to create scoring tracks. Okay, now we're getting to it. Some tracks have certain rules, though. For example, I think there's a Crystal Castles Arcade track. Ugh, Bentley Bear! Sorry, I got distracted there. Uh, I think there's a Crystal Caves arcade track in which to submit a high score. You have to actually use your feet on the control panel. What? Let's come back to that later. And there are separate tracks, for example, for different game selections of the Atari 2600 Pac-Man. The Atari 7800 Homebrew Pac-Man Collection has a few different tracks. One for Pac-Man Plus, one for Pac-Man, etc. Now, remember what I said about reputation points. Well, some guy who had enough reputation points decided to create a special track for the Atari 2600 Tapper. That's the Pomeranian track I mentioned in my prior email. So now, there are at least two 2600 Tapper tracks, one standard track, and then the one with the Pomeranian. And yes, it does have to do with the little dog breed. Here's the story with the Pomeranian track, to the best of my memory. If you want to submit a score to the track, then you must hold a rescued Pomeranian while you play the game, the entire time you play the game. You must also tell the story of how you adopted the Pomeranian. So I guess that means, Sean, you just can't go borrow one. you know. My buddy down the street has 18 Pomeranians, so I borrowed one so I could go play this game. guess you can't do that. Uh, I think there are allowances if it's someone else's... Oh, okay. He's answering my... He's He has predicted my question. I think there are allowances if it's someone else's Pomeranian. Like, you have to talk about why you admire people who rescue Pomeranians or something. As far as I know, only one score has been submitted for the Pomeranian track, so naturally the world record holder for the highest score on ta- a 2600 tapper while holding a Pomeranian is the guy who traded the track. So, yep, Twin Galaxies, has track spe- uh, Twin Galaxies has a track specifically for a semi-rare Atari 2600 game to be played while holding a tiny dog, but there are several classic Atari 7800 homebrews that don't have tracks. Once I, once I get enough reputation points, I'll have to remedy that situation. Um, I hope this information was helpful and in some ways helps you honor the legacy of Dr. King. (laughs) Uh, That is because he wrote to me on Martin Luther King Day. Well, thank you for clearing that up for me, Sean. I'll be honest, I was assuming that it wasn't something as weird as a, a little dog figured into it somehow. But you have both surprised and even more confused me with your answer that no, it does in fact have to do with the little dog. I am also really, really tempted to get myself an account and figure out some really good track of my own. Because I have to build up some reputation points first. I have to do a little work. But I'll have to think about what sort of tracks I could come up with. Like, you have to play Donkey Kong while eating applesauce with cinnamon in it. Or let's see, uh, centipede but you have to play only using your feet, or uh, my favorite, Amadar, but you actually have to be painting a wall uh, with a paint roller while you play the game, and uh, the wall has to be, the the room that you paint has to be moving ready by the time the game is done. Yeah, I could come up with some good stuff here. So, if anyone knows of any other strange tracks on uh, Twin Galaxies, um, it, it's hard to beat Play while holding a tiny Pomeranian, but you know, I this is my challenge to you. If you know of any other already existing strange tracks, let me know. All right, well, thank you for the update, Sean. I appreciate that. Uh, go listen to Sean, by the way, for the none of you in my audience who knows what sh- who, who Sean is. He, of course, is the co host along with Jim of uh, Pie Factory. Uh, Sean also does the Atari 7800 homebrew podcast, which is, sh- is such a good show. That I was inspired uh, last month to buy my first Atari 7800 homebrew, based solely on his glowing review of the game on his podcast. It was a time salvo, which I have enjoyed immensely since I got it, and you will no doubt hear about it at some future date on this show, but not today. Alright, well that's enough of that. Let's get on with this week's game. This week's game is...
1: Imagic makes some of the toughest games for Atari's video system. (laughs) Because they're created by experts. Meet the inventor of Star Voyager, Corp. Oh, so, uh, how'd you do? I love that. Gorp made Star Voyager just like his journey to Earth. Hi, Mommy. There were enemy ships, meteors. That looks tough. He even had to go through Stargates to get here. Ha! You missed it! Oh. <laughs> See if you're good enough for Star Voyager. From iMagic.
0: <laughs> Star Voyager. From iMagic, or as they say in the commercial. E-Magic, for some reason, 1982. Star Voyager, sadly, has nothing to do with the mediocre Star Trek TV series Voyager in the 90s. Instead, or what we're told is, we're returning from a secret diplomatic mission, and the Astro Cruiser Star Voyager receives an urgent stellar communication. The message is, Zekar has betrayed New Treaty, Capital Starport Under Siege, Apparently, uh, in the future, in stellar communications, they can only speak in uh telegram-ese. Capital starport under siege. I keep to say stop after every sentence. Relief imperative. Return immediately. Caution. Zakoran enemy ships patrol the s- seven star portals. Energy supplies limited. Refuel at each star portal. Hurry. Objective. Pilot star voyager through treacherous space. As you look out from the command bridge, stars rush past. Penetrate the seven star portals and save the capital star port. Destroy enemy ships with photon torpedoes or lasers or evade them to maintain your precious energy supply. Keep track of energy levels on the instrument panel. Use your radar screen to locate opponents and approaching star portals. Only passing through a star portal restores your energy reserves. But be warned, crashing into a star portal will destroy you. Your viewer displays the hostiles space you navigate. Sights at the center of the viewer show where your two lines of fire meet. Weapons fire originates under wings indicated on either side of the command bridge. Lasers use more energy than photon torpedoes, but have a wider, more effective range. Both destroy anything in their path. Enemy ships and star portals first appear as small distant dots, then advance. Enemy pulsar bombs flash white hot on your viewer. Each hit costs you energy as enemy ships and their fire crash into Star Voyager defense shields. Destroy enemy ships, maintain energy levels, eclipse star portals, you earn field promotions, see scoring. Your instrument panel helps. The reading on the left indicates the number of enemy ships, you've blasted, energy still, reserve, still in reserve appears on the right. The radar screen in the middle of the panel shows both the nearest enemy, a solid dot, and star portals, flashing blip. I'll be honest, when I played, I didn't pay that much attention to the dis- to the different things. If I saw something on the screen, I tried to blast it. Audio signals alert you to approaching foes and star portals. Portals. Four beeps indicates an alien presence. A musical overture sounds when a star portal is near. Listen for star portal opportunities. When signaled, maneuver the flashing blip to dead center of the radar screen with your joystick controller. Quickly, quickly, exclamation point. It will appear in your viewer. Line the star portal up between your sights, and flash through. Again, I wasn't that nuanced when I played, which may have been why I didn't do all that well. Using the joystick for this one, uh, pretty intuitive, right? Pull the stick towards you to climb, push forward to dive, rotate right and rear left, position the joystick so that the red button is at the upper left hand corner, of course, our all-time favorite instruction. To fire laser or photon torpedoes, press the red button. When player versions, use the left hand controller. You can reset the uh, game with the uh, Game Reset button, of course, or by pressing the Fire button when the previous game ends. The left difficulty lever controls the pace of the enemy attack. A for Normal, B for Accelerated. The uh, right difficulty lever controls the weapons. Uh, lasers is uh, Position A for Lasers, position B for Photon Torpedoes. One player uh, game plays against a computer. Two player uh, is also possible. Uh, you team up as Pilot and Weapons Officer. Select game number one. The pilot uses the left-hand controller. The right joystick controller uh, controls weapons fire. For a combative challenge, play game two. The left joystick controller operates the Star Voyager. The right maneuvers the enemy ships and controls pulsar bomb Bombfire. I haven't tried that, but it sounds kind of fun. Scoring. Multiply your tally of enemies, enemy casualties by five. Add ten points for each star portal. Penetrated. Determine the number of star portals crossed by the color of the viewer border. Scores uh, range uh, from 0 to 15 for being a wall, all the way up to 208 points gets you Admiral rank. You go from 1 Chevron to 2 Chevrons, 3 Chevrons, 4 Chevrons, Lieutenant, Captain, Admiral. Rankings appear at game's end. I'll be honest here, I only played this a little bit this morning, and I never got above a wall, which is odd, because you're not actually a wall, you're there, you're just really incompetent. Tactical tips: Practice Star Voyager, Voyager by playing a two-player version alone. Hmm, interesting. Plug in both joysticks, use the left controller, move the left difficulty switch to B. Star portals will appear at center screen. Learn to recognize enemy ships, control your fire, and read your read the radar scope. All right, well, that's good advice, I guess. And that is how you play Star Voyager, which, once again, has nothing to do with Star Trek. Star Voyager was designed by Bob Smith. GameFAQs called the game an Atari 2600 mainstay and notes that in the days of the Atari 2600 first-person dogfighting games that abounded back in the day, for good reason. Kids and many adults seemed to love watching anything that contained grand space battles back then, like Star Wars and Star Trek, and even Battlestar Galactica and Buck Rogers. Games like Star Raiders, The Earth Dies Screaming, and Star Trek Strategic Operations, similar among others, were born. The main problem for the programmers uh, was not to look at like they were copying each other. The good ones always found ways to keep the ideas fresh, uh, with a few twists here and there. In Star Voyager, you have to save the capital starport, though you never actually get to see it. What you do see are the seven star portals you must find and enter in order to replenish your energy while fighting, and sometimes evading enemies of Koran ships. If you survive till the seventh portal, then the game ends. Even if you don't, you are awarded a rank as in Star Raiders. The game looks kind of like Star Raiders at first glance. First, the best part of the graphics are the star portals that you have to search around to find. The ships look to this reviewer a little bit like the ships you see in Tron, a red ship consisting of a cockpit with shoulders that extend out and down on each side that ends with little arms that curve toward each other. Unlike Star Raiders, the game does not waste game program space on an unnecessary dull two-dimensional map. Instead, to make the game even more interesting, a friend can take over, can take over the second joystick in game variation 2 and assume command of the enemy vessel. The game looks exactly the same, except it's kind of hard at times to know where you are if you're the enemy, because you only see yourself when you're on sc- uh, player number one's view screen. All in all, the cartridge still sports the quick and fun arcade-style uh, gameplay iMagic's games were noted for. It also has a few visuals and audio touches that today may seem dated, but next to some other uh, some of the Atari cartridges of the genre, help it stand out from the pack, making it uh, one to get if you're into the classics. They give it three and a half hearts out of five. The video game critic calls calls this uh, yet another Star Raiders-inspired first-person space shooter, but one of the better ones. Doesn't waste time with fancy maps, shields, or damage indicators. Emphasis is on shooting enemy ships, which I think is a good idea. Your ship is equipped with two types of weapons. You trigger the secondary weapon by pressing the fire button on the second joystick. Your lasers are far more powerful than photon torpedoes, but consume 10 times more energy. The graphics are fairly minimal, but the colors are vivid, and the explosions are amongst the best I've seen on the 2600. Star Voyager is a heck of a lot of fun and seriously underrated. Alright, after the break, earlier I was mentioning the TV series Star Trek Voyager. So here's a proposition. Star Trek Voyager was a thinly veiled spin-off of the game Star Voyager. Discuss. Subtopic. Who looks better in a skin-tight jumpsuit? Star Trek character Seven of Nine? Or me? Me? Are we lost? No, we're not lost, I know exactly where we are. Look, it's a wide open road, nothing in front of us, but space upon space. I don't know, I don't really like this neighborhood. It's just a big empty space field. What could possibly happen? Oh, crap. Okay, I'm gonna say right off the bat, the beeping sound you're probably going to hear in a second. That one. Creeps the hell, it creeps me the hell out. Yeah, stop it. I don't know why. It... The other noises, oh, stop it. The other noises in this game don't really bother me. Ugh, that one does. I don't know if it's some sort of sense memory. I don't know what I'm associating that noise with. But, it, it creeps me out. Got it. I wanna say, it's like the sound you hear just before you get... Certain medical... Got it. Medical tests or something? I don't know. It's weird. Like a, like, is, there a t- is there a tone when you get a CAT scan? Or something? I, I, I don't know. Anyway, as far as the game... It's, what, it's basically a simplified version of Star Raiders, right? And I appreciate that. You don't have the clunky touchpad to deal with. Um, you know, it's a, a scrimmed down version of Star Raiders. You, you, you have your targeting, um, you know, your, your sight, you just have to line up your shot with the enemy ships and fire. Uh, everything you need is right there on the one screen. How many you've hit? Uh, you got the little radar uh, readout at the bottom, but a couple things. Uh, one, it's hard to tell that you're moving. Right? The joystick is supposed to be moving you left, right, up, down, but you can't tell that you've moved. I actually put in another game just to make sure my joystick was working, because you can't—you don't get a sense of movement, really feels like you're just sitting there waiting for the enemy ships to fly into your your sight. I kind of, I hate to say this, but I kind of miss the map that you could go to in, in, like, Star Raiders. Even though I do not miss the touchpad and all the clunky extra stuff. Alright, uh, the other thing is, because it's just, like, you're just kind of sitting there waiting. Here, I'll do it one more time. For stuff to show up in front of you, you don't have a whole lot of time to react. I mean, I know you have the little radar screen, but before you know it, they've already blasted you, and now the game's over again already, so that's disappointing, but it does allow me to say, back to you in the studio. So here's the thing about Star Voyager. The game's okay. I didn't love Star Raiders at all, because it was too bogged down with the maps and the touchpad and all that crap, but, so I was looking forward to this game because it was sort of like Star Raiders without all that other crap. But I got to tell you, when I was playing it, I kind of missed some of the other crap. I guess I'm kind of put off by the fact that when you're looking at the screen, even if you're moving your ship, you can't really tell that you're moving your ship. You can see the enemy on the view screen, but you don't really know where they're going to show up. And as soon as they show up, of course, they're blasting away at you. And you don't have a whole lot of time to react. You're just sort of firing blindly when something comes into your field of vision. I think the game looks okay, especially for 1982. I don't know if it's just that I'm not necessarily wowed by you know, the the space shooters, I guess. I I can't really think of one that really excites me. You know, one of this type. I mean like the star the Space Invaders and in Gallagher, Galaga, Galaxian, all of those. I like all of those. But these sort of, you know, targeting, uh, you know, locking on the, the sights and the radar screen and all that stuff doesn't just doesn't seem to do a whole lot for me for some reason. So maybe that's the problem. But I'm not bowled over by this game. I don't hate it, but I'm not bowled over for it. Um, I mentioned some things in the field report that were frustrating me. And even now, having thought about it a little bit more since I played the field report, I kind of still feel the same. The things that frustrated me when I played it still frustrate me. I don't love this game. I probably won't spend a lot of time with it in the future. Although, having said that, I think I am going to try the two-player variation, you know, by myself and see if that adds to the fun. Maybe spend a little more time trying to use the uh, the two types of weapons, the lasers and the photon torpedoes together, see if that helps any. If you guys feel strongly one way or the other about my sort of meh opinion of Star Voyager, go ahead and write to me and let me know. Okay, so now, you know, that's all well and good. But of course, what we care about on this show is, why Voyage Among the Stars? Why do we hate the Zakorans? What is going on here? For the story today, which is no little song or a little poem or something, you have to imagine a little Jiminy Cricket. We were talking about Disney earlier, so imagine a little Jiminy Cricket sitting on your shoulder. You know, gosh, Pinocchio, cheer up! You know, that kind of thing. Uh, he's trying to, uh, you know, sort of the uh, when you wish upon a star sort of moment from Pinocchio. Little, little uh, little Jiminy helping you out there. So here we go. When a star is born, we voyage among one or two Among the dangers is this, that a Zakor ship wants you to go kabloo. When you voyage among the stars, makes no difference what treaties there are. Anything lasers and photons can blast, you'll do. If your starport is in your dream, no defense is too extreme. When you voyage among the stars, as space soldiers do, fate can be kind. But diplomats bring to Zakor above... The sweet fulfillment of secret plotting, like a bolt out of the blue, instrument panels and radar too, show energy there among the stars, so your ship can fly true. When you voyage among the stars, it makes no difference who you are, unless you're a then we'll get you. If your energy core is out of steam, no embattled refueling port is too extreme. When you voyage among the stars, as voyagers do, fate is a kick in the behind. Zekor distrust brings to those who love the bitter fulfillment of secret plottings. Like photon bolts out of the blue, fate steps in and drills you through. When you voyage among the stars, your dreams may defeat you. And that's our show. My thanks, as always, to Kevin McLeod at Incompetent.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Pinball Spring, and Take a Chance. Show notes are available at AtariBytes.libsen.com. You can email the show at AtariBytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the show on our Facebook page, follow the show on Twitter at AtariBytes, or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. And of course, uh, we're now on Instagram as well. Find AtariBytes on iTunes. Uh, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, there are some episodes on SoundCloud, uh, all the usual places. And don't forget to wander, or, you know, maybe more uh, directed wandering, an actual voyage, if you will, across the stars to the distant planet iTunes to leave a show review. It helps other voyagers find the refueling port that is this podcast. But don't let the Zakorans catch you, for goodness sakes. Also, you can support the show financially on our Patreon page. Please consider doing that if you can. You can also pick up Atari Bytes, go play some old games they've missed you, merchandise at zazzle.com. Our store has the the rolls-off-the-tongue name of capital A, capital B, underscore pod, underscore store. And if you have time, check out my other show. It's a podcast, Charlie Brown, for all your Snoopy and Charlie Brown needs. New episodes drop there on the 15th of every month. Next time on Atari Bytes. Commando Raid. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you.